Last Sunday we preached uh, the first message on the death of a nation. And today we continue with the second and last message on the death of a nation. Um, this basically is going to address the decline and fall of biblical Christianity in America and how that we have moved away from the foundation of our forefathers, the great heritage we had in the men and women of God who left England to have freedom of religion, came here, founded this nation on the Christian faith. The first schools were established to teach the children to read the Bible. When all of our laws were passed, there were godly men, women who prayed, sought the face of God, and laid a tremendous foundation of faith for this nation. And that's why, even though we're small in size as landmass, America became the most powerful nation in the world. It was. But it's all because of our roots. You know, it bothers uh, humanists and secularists. They want, they want to deny our heritage. They don't want to admit where we came from. So they'll try to take it out of the textbooks and they'll try to do this. But I'm just going to tell you right now, anybody that denies that this nation was birthed by God in the strong faith in Jesus Christ and upon the Word of God, anybody that denies that is deceived. And they're trying to deceive others because they can't stand the thought that we were born by God, birthed by God. Not perfect in the beginning, no, no. But I'll tell you, built upon a great foundation. Now, so we have to come to the point where we believe, uh, well, where are we now? And where do we go from here? You know, um, since I'm talk talking about the decline and fall of biblical Christianity in America and how it affected everything that we do, caused our nation to die a slow death, you know, I need to address you as uh, Luke 418. Now, we're, we're a, a congregation uh, of believers. Uh, we would be counted as that 25% of the people in America who are evangelical Protestants. Now, that could mean many things to many people. But there are 25% of the people in America who belong to evangelical Protestant churches. And that is kind of narrowing them down from what they call mainline Protestant churches. George Barner did a survey in 2014 of 35,000 people in America. 35,000. And he found out that from 2017 to 2014, evangelical Protestants, those who believe the Bible is the Word of God, had declined, but only 1%. But mainline Protestant churches had declined from 18% of the population to 14% of the population. 
But the alarming thing in that survey was that those who say we're not affiliated with any religious organization at all rose from 16%, fastest growing to 22%. So if you just really break it down and are honest, you will realize, and this is probably being very, very kind, that perhaps 25% of the people in America know Jesus Christ. It could be that many. I'm certainly not the judge, but if, if they're in mainline Protestantism, well, they've already left the Bible. By the way, you know what was disturbing to me? I got a uh, research paper about where major denominations stood on significant moral issues. And the, the amazing thing was this, that in America, Canada, and Europe, and Europe includes Denmark and Scotland and Switzerland and all those places, in America, Europe, and Canada, 20 denominations have completely departed from the authority of the Word of God. Now, they still have Bibles in their pews, but most of them still have Bibles in their churches. But the problem is they have endorsed and become a part of that which violates the Word of God. You see, they have left, they have moved away from the authority of God's Word and now they're each one doing what's right in their own eyes. And the way I know that they have departed from the Word of God, for they have made specific decisions and actions that are totally contrary to the Word of God. 20 denominations in those countries. There are only 10, only 10 denominations in America, Canada, and Europe that still stand strongly upon the authority and inerrancy of the Word of God. Only 10 in America, Canada. I'm not about denominations. They're, they're non-denominational and all that kind of stuff. But, but, I, but that's, you know, that, that doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out that those who really believe the Bible, uh, uh, two-thirds of the denominations don't, 20 and 10 do, that, that, that we're in serious trouble. There's no question about it. But we need to find out why. And I'll be honest with you. Do you realize they took in this same survey, Barna found out that 49% of the people in America says it's not important to go to church. Only 51% said, well, it's somewhat important to go to church. Do you realize that of all the people under 30, the millennials, only 2 out of 10 felt like it was important to go to church. Under 30, only 2 out of 10, which means 8 said, in it, church is not relevant to me. In fact, of those under 30 years of age, 35% of them are actively hostile to the church. So, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that, but hey, that's just what it is. And there has been the decline and influence of biblical Christianity in America. Now, let me say this to you. We know how this has happened. You know, it all started with what I preached on last Sunday when I preached on humanism. 
which is a religion. It is atheistic in its foundation. They made the statement in Humanist Manifesto 2, no deity will save us, we must save ourselves. They said that no, there's no such thing as absolute, moral absolutes. They said that ethics and morality is determined by human experience and that the situation determines if something's right or something's wrong. And so here is humanism that rose in the 30s and multiplied invaded the public domain as far as schools and universities and they're absolutely humanistic in all of our universities and colleges now and so that spilled over and affected people's attitude toward the church and so it's just kind of like two uh two storms just one over here of humanism and one of uh liberal uh uh, uh liberal religion coming together and, and, and then what's happened is it's just brought uh, America to a point in its history that is just tragic. It's very, very tragic. But I'll tell you, this is my firm belief. From the beginning, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, there has been a deliberate, planned, aggressive attempt to make America a secularistic society to make us a nation of humanists. And so therefore, they get, by judicial act, they get laws passed that you can't pray in school. They get laws passed that you can't teach the Bible in school. They get laws passed that you can't pray at graduation. They get laws passed that you can't pray at a football game. They get laws passed that the band can't play Amazing Grace at halftime because it uh, is against uh, separation of church and state. You see, it's just been a deliberate effort to take God out. For example, if you wanted to put a, a manger scene down on a public-owned place for the, supported anyway by government funds, you can't do that. Oh, no. Uh-uh. See, it, it's just a deliberate effort, and, and it's happened. And, you know, uh, the wicked, the Bible says, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God, you know, and so we, we just got to understand that there has been a deliberate, it just didn't happen, y'all. It just didn't happen. Now, where, where was the church during this time? I, I don't, I, I guess I could say, well, where was religion during this time? Well, you, when you say religion, it can mean any cotton-picking thing you want it to mean. But I, I just want to ask, where was the uh, evangelical, Bible-believing churches. Where were we as we saw this decline of Christianity, biblical morality in our nation? Where were we? What, 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 why didn't we do more than we did to stem the tide? It's almost like, let me tell you what it just came to my mind. It's almost like when they arrested Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You know what Peter and John said to him? Well, you just figure this out, and you don't have to be smart to do it. He said, whether we ought to obey God or man, it's, you decide. But we want to tell you we ought to obey God rather than man. So they just kept throwing them in jail, and God just kept getting them out. The early church 
went against a culture that is just as wicked and ungodly as ours. Oh, Rome, my heavens, the wickedness, the ungodliness of its rulers, of, its, the, of the culture, it was unbelievable. And by the way, the early church had to battle a legalistic dead religion called the Pharisees and the scribes who wanted to live under the law. You say, but Brother Fred, the early church was so powerful and the early church accomplished so many things. And boy, they really had it made. Had it made? Yeah, they just decided on what prison they were going to be in. And they fought the culture. Every one of them died a martyr's death. And, 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 and so they made laws that they couldn't preach and teach in the name of Jesus. They went out and started preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. They put him in jail. God sent an angel and got him out. Hey, listen. We have been intimidated by, by the court system. We've been intimidated by judicial decrees. My heavens. They couldn't put all of us in jail. They ain't got, well, we already got overrun our prisons twice. Why are we so afraid of being sued? Why, 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 why are we so that we're going to take the Bible out of school and if you have anybody read it, we're going to sue you? Go ahead. You can't pray in school and if you pray before the football game, we're going to sue you. Well, go ahead. We're going to do it anyway. No. I, I tell you what, we, we didn't act like the early church, y'all. Now, we did not respond to what happened in America like the early church. Oh, no. If they had, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Christianity would have been stopped. It would never change the world. But no, for some reason, there was a, a, an unbelievable <clears throat> silence. Just an unbelievable silence. And silence is perceived as agreement. You know, I will say this. When it came to the legislative act of abortion, uh, there was an outcry in America. And even today, there is still strong opposition of Roe versus Wade. There's still people that are doing everything they can. In many states, abortion clinics have been eliminated. There's only one in Mobile, uh, Planned Parenthood. And so there, there have been some things where the church says enough's enough. And, 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 and people have done some amazing things in trying to prevent, try to, 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 to counter the, the murder of babies in the womb. <clears throat> well, Let's just talk about um, how we got where we are. Now, can I say a word about our church? Okay. Well, you know, this really isn't our church, is it? Who does this church belong to? Who? Jesus. It belongs to God. Uh, is this church made up of these nice screens and nice chairs and nice pulpit furniture and nice parking places. Is that what makes up the church? Zero. You make up the church. I make up the church. Hey, we're, we're living stones built together upon the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're believers built together to become a holy temple in the Lord, to be inhabited by God, by his spirit. Hey, there's no organism. You notice I didn't say organization. We're not an organization. An organization's not alive. We're an organism. There's no organism in this world like the body of Christ, like the true church of the living God. I, I, and, and so what we've got to understand, 
that, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ purchased and paid for by his blood is absolutely distinct from any other organization in this world. I'm, it is the one thing birthed by God and which, which for, for which Jesus one day is coming back for his bride, for his body, which is the church. So that separates the church from every other organism or organization. Well, now you take us as a church. We, we're, we're almost nine years old. Um, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I, um, I really, um, I don't think I've ever um, loved a church. And by the way, it's people. Church is people. You know, I had 25 years at Cottage Hill, and I love those people. And, and how many of you were ever members of Cottage Hill? Raise your hand. Well, we're still together, praise God. <laughs> um, I love that church, and I love those people. And we saw God do good things. We did. But then we parted ways for a while, and then God brought Luke 418 Fellowship into existence. There are a lot of good things about this church. I believe we love each other. I really believe we do. I believe we have a unity that was brought about by God. Really, I mean, man, I've been pastoring since I uh, was 20 years old. And, and I, I faced every kind of problem you've ever seen. I mean, you, you, you cannot believe it. I mean, it's, it, I've been there and have a T-shirt in every situation I know. Okay. <laughs> I know what it is to fight the demons of hell. I know what it is to see the glory of God. And you do too. And so I love this church. I'm telling you, this is my family. I love you. I love this church. I love what we believe. I love what we stand for. I love that nobody has an agenda that they're trying to tell us what to be and what to do. Our only agenda is the word of God. I love that. And we have the freedom. And it doesn't matter who gets elected. It does matter, but it don't matter to us because it ain't going to change one thing we do. Uh-uh. We're going to keep on preaching the Word of God. We're going to keep on calling sin, sin. We're going to keep on calling righteousness, righteousness. We're going to keep on calling light, light. We're going to keep on calling darkness, darkness. And we're going to be a voice crying in the wilderness, Thus saith the Lord. So we're not going to change. But I'm telling you, I have a deep conviction that God wants to take each one of us to a new level spiritually. You know, it'd be easy for us in a, in a, in a, in a loving, caring fellowship to be satisfied. It'd be easy for us where we, you give generously, we have a good budget, we've got nice buildings. Uh, I, I mean, it would be, but let me say something. It ain't about us, y'all. What about all the people around us that are going to hell? What about the mobile that's going to hell? What about America that's going to hell? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So we, we can't sit back and say, well, we're doing fine. Hey, the early church, they lived with the passion for the lost people in that world. They scattered all over the known world. And laid down their lives to, for the gospel. And it cost them everything that they had. Well, so, 
how can God take us to a new level spiritually? How can we at Luke 4.18 experience a greater manifestation of the power of God? I was thinking, how many churches do you know that are experiencing the awesome power of God and the only explanation for that church is God? Now think a minute that they're experiencing in their daily life and in the salvation of souls and the deliverance of the bound and in the healing of the sick and the casting out of the devils. How many churches do you know that are really alive and dynamically filled and motivated with the power? I'm talking about the dunamis, the power of the living God. How many of you know like that? You say, well, I think Luke 4.18 is. I don't. I don't think we're experiencing the power of God. On a scale of 1 to 10, we may be a 3, but we sure ain't no 10. I'm just telling you, we're not. And we need to see a greater manifestation and demonstration in the power of God. God changing lives. God, cha God saving marriages. God healing sick people. God deliver delivering those that are demonically oppressed. You know, we know what God can do, but I am saying to you, it would be very easy for us to be comfortable and say we're doing fine and the world is going to hell and the demons are beating people's brains out and sin and wickedness is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. No, something's got to change with us if we're going to have any influence in this society. I don't want people to drive by here and ignore us. I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to say, well, isn't that a nice, pretty building they got there? I want them to say, did you know one thing? God is in that place over there, and I think I'm going to go because I need God. And that's exactly where we need to be, y'all. And I could be satisfied. I mean, good gracious. I thought at 79, 79 in December, I'd be sitting in a rocking chair one, somewhere, probably in a mental hospital. But no, I, I mean... But, but really, this, I didn't envision this. But I'll tell you what, I believe that God brought Luke 4.18 in existence for such a time as this, okay? We're on a mission. We're on a mission. And God wants us to fulfill that mission. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I'll tell you one thing, we're going to go through a lot of hell between now and when he comes back. Oh, no, he's going to rapture us out all of it. Uh, we, I believe in the rapture, but the Bible says that in, in this world you will have what? Tribulation. Any of y'all going through any tribulation? <laughs> well, if he was going to deliver us from all tribulation, we'd have been raptured before we were born. Oh, I believe in the rapture. Don't misunderstand me. But we are going to see the wrath of God on this nation. We're going to see it. Well, let me tell you what happened to us. The reason biblical Christianity and morality, biblical morality declined was this. There was a deliberate effort in the colleges and seminaries to undercut and discredit the authority of the Word of God. In other words, they say if we can take away people's confidence in the Bible's authority... 
if we can take away people's confidence that it is the Word of God, truth without any mixture of error, if we can just undermine the Bible, then we've cut their legs off and they will have no authority when they preach and they will not see the power of God. You say, well, Brother Fred, that, that sounds um, like it would be true. But hey, no, you don't understand. I know it's true. I went there. I went to a seminary in 1960. And if God hadn't gotten me out of there, I don't think I'd be here. No, I, I'm serious with you. I mean, they had two professors, Professor Big, Briggs and Oliver, who, whose classes were to demyth demythologize the New Testament. And they talked about the Bible had myths and legends and, 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 was, and parts of it were just folklore. And, 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 and people came to that seminary and I came out of a secular university expecting to be grounded in the Word of God and the historicity of the Old Testament and, and the teachings of the New Testament. I expected to come out of there, you know, with, with a solid foundation. I, I'd never had a Bible class in my life. Man, I got up there and I'll tell you, you know what? When it disturbed me, and I knew, I, I mean, God supernaturally got me out of there. Because I'd moved, and I was in that apartment, didn't have the money to move again. But I was playing golf with two guys that came there on fire from God. One of them's name was Larry Painter, and I forget the other thing. And they were making fun of Jesus. I'm telling you, they said, you know, this thing that Jesus saves, he said, oh, Jesus saves green stamps. I said, my Lord, have mercy. That's blasphemy. They both dropped out. They both probably became agnostics. But they came there with a heart thinking that God had called them to preach the word of God. But they were taught that the Bible was not the inerrant, infallible word of God. They were taught that the New Testament was just folklore and legends where that, that, that were passed down about Jesus. Some of them may have happened. Some may not have happened. And so it just absolutely wiped them out. Let me tell you something. When I became pastor of Luke Cottage Hill Baptist Church, there was a young man who was a member who invited me to lunch. And I come to find out that he had been a ministerial student at the same seminary that I went to. And so we were sitting there eating lunch. This was back in 19, the uh, fall of 1972. He looked at me and I said, now, Pastor, certainly you don't believe all the, all the things in the Bible about Noah and the ark and the Jonah and the whale and, and, and all that kind of stuff. He said, now, certainly you don't believe and all the miracles. Uh, you, you, you really don't believe the Bible w is without error. I said, uh, I hate to tell you, but you're wrong. I believe every bit of it's the Word of God. And if they said that Jonah was swallowed by a goldfish, I'd still believe it. <laughs> well, boy, he, he, just, he just bristled up, you know. He said, well, i tell you what, I just got where I didn't believe it. I don't know what he was doing going to church at Cottage Hill. He said, well, I got so desperate. Now, listen to this. I went up there believing the Bible and wanted to preach the Word of God, and I got so 
uh, so disillusioned. I remember sitting there trying to study with a pistol right beside me, trying to decide whether or not I would live. I'm telling you, our seminaries turned out multitudes of men whose authority, who do not believe in the authority of the Word of God, who do not believe it's truth without any mixture of error, who do, that do not believe that it is God's answer. And I'll tell you, you might as well shut the doors when you don't believe the Word of God. And you might as well shut the doors when you say you believe it, but disobey it and make decisions that contrarily contradict the Word of God. And so liberal theology cut the heart out of mainline Protestantism. It just cut the heart out. Liberal theology. I, I just, you know, I got thinking, man, about the Bible. Listen, it is amazing. I've been preaching this for, I forgot how many years now, but let me tell you something. I believe more now than I ever did. I believe it's more true than I ever believed it was true. Because you know what? Everything God said was going to happen has happened. Everything God says is going to happen is going to happen. And God said, if you preach the gospel, I'll change the lives of women. And guess what? I've watched God change the lives of men and women. And I guarantee if I was re reading the latest reader's jest or giving the latest quote from Time magazine, ain't nobody going to get saved. But I tell you, you preach the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and somebody will get saved. Hallelujah. And just because it's got a steeple on the roof, and they have religious programs doesn't mean that God is anywhere close. It doesn't mean he's anywhere close. The problem is when they deny the word of God and they deny the uniqueness of Jesus, they do not believe he's the only way to be saved. That's the ultimate end of liberalism, that Jesus is not the only way to salvation. That's the ultimate end of liberalism. They said there are many roads that lead to heaven. There are many ways to get there. And basically, you just got to be a good moral person. The problem is, without Jesus, you can't be a good moral person. But, but see this thing. But the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. The Bible says the way of man is right in his own eyes, but God settles that. And so what we realize that um, we, we got a serious problem, that liberalism has undermined, undermined the Word of God. Let me give you some verses. 2 Timothy 3.16. Listen to what it says about the Bible. All Scripture, not some, all. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. All Scripture is given by, by God. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I'm telling you, the way you grow spiritually is to get into this book. Let me give you another verse. Isaiah 40, verse 8. I love this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. What part of that do they not understand? Let me give you another one. Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing is hearing a bunch of stories that ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. That is not what it says. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, the Word of God. The Word of God produces faith. Let me give you another verse, Hebrews 4.12. Listen, I believe this. I've seen this. I've seen the changing power of the Word of God when it grips the heart of a man or woman and they're transformed by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It says, listen to this, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the decision piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. It'll penetrate your soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it is a discerner, the Word of God, of the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Thank God for the Word of God. And I'm going to move, and I'm going to be through with this in a minute. Secondly, deny the supernatural. That's liberal. They deny the supernatural. They don't think anything supernatural. You know, this is, their, this is what theology says. Anything that occurs in life can be explained by a scientific method. Baloney. How are you going to explain that a man's lost without God and without hope, been drinking alcohol since he was 14 years old, drink about a half a gallon every night, and comes to Jesus. I remember talking to him and praying with him, and he said, well, I, I mean, I've done this all my life. I said, what am I going to do? <clears throat> He 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 asked Christ to save. I said, "Well, I'll tell you right now. God will deliver you. Jesus will deliver you. Go home and pour it all out, and tell Jesus that you're depending on Him to deliver you and set you free." He came by me the other day on Sunday morning. And he said, "It's been 11 months, and I hadn't had a drop." That's the power of God, friends. That is the power of God. That's the power of God. Is what it is. <coughs> so they deny the supernatural. That, that, you know, you say to them, "Well, I'm." I've watched demons operating in a person. I've seen demons come out of a person. Oh, that doesn't happen. Give me a break. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, oh, oh. I, I remember that I, I was, and I hadn't done much of this, and I ain't looking for it. Are you listening to me? Okay. But I remember that I, I never would anybody that I thought had demonic oppression or possession. I'd never do it by myself. But for some reason, somebody got me to see this guy that was not a member of our church. And he came in there and, and he said, I have a constant ringing in my ears. Now, that is a physical malady. I know that. And some people have that and you can take medicine. I don't know what you call it. You might call it the ringing in the ear. But I don't know what you call it. But he says, well, I just, it's just, it's just, I can't get rid of it. I, I can't stop it. And I said, well, no, I mean, I, God could heal you. I said, you know, I don't know, but it, it might be that, that you're being oppressed by a demonic spirit. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, well, no, we won't know unless we see. And anytime you're dealing with demonic spirits, you tell the person you're dealing with, look you in the eye. Because the eyes are the windows of the soul. They're the windows of the soul. And so I said, now you look straight in my eye. And I started rebuking the devil and, and telling him if it was a, a demonic spirit that was causing this. All of a sudden, he interrupted me. He said, my name is Joe, and I am a good man. I said, uh-oh, we in trouble right now. <laughs> and he stood up, and I stood up, and he said, I want you to know I'm, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. And I could tell he did not know who he was or where he was. And I rebuked the demon in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, he got right up to me and he stopped. 
And then I looked him in the eye and I said, I ask you something. Do you know what you just did? He said, no. I said, can I tell you what you said? He said, yeah. He said, I can't. He was not even aware of what he had done. I could tell you other stories. Why am I doing that? To let you know, let me say something to you. If you believe there's no supernatural world, there's not angels of God and demons ain't fallen angels and there's a spiritual battle in the world and there's God is a supernatural God. He's the deliverer. He's the healer. If you don't believe that, you, you're living in deception because I am telling you it is a war going on out there and if you don't believe in the supernatural, you're already defeated. You see, I knew Brother Fred was off in left field, but I didn't know his way out there. If that's left field, I'm staying. So they deny the supernatural. And so therefore, nothing happens unless this can be scientifically explained. Okay. So, undercutting the theology of the Word of God, denying the reality of the... um, Supernatural. And then, let me tell you what we've done. <laughs> humanism, you know, is infiltrated society. And that humanism that's infiltrated society, guess what? It has come into the church. Now, the, word, the church is supposed to change the culture, right? Not the culture change the church. And we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. So, our church is, this quote, this religious organization not doing too good. Buildings half empty. Most of them are all the time anyway now. They're half empty. They said, well, we got to do something. Uh, somebody should have whispered, what about praying and asking the Holy Spirit to do something? Oh, no, we, we're not there. Uh-uh. We got to do it ourselves. So they, you know what they've done? And I'm just true. I mean, I, I, mean, I could show you some play. That, that What they did, instead of changing the world and changing the culture, they invited the world into the church and started using the world's music and the world's methods and the world's means. And you know what? You can come to the, some services and you'll hear the world's music and the world's methods and the world's means and you could leave there and go to a bar and feel just as comfortable there as you did in the church. Because they got the same kind of music, just don't have religious words. You say, you are an old fogey. You don't know anything about music. I do so something about music. Do you remember when Kiss came on the scene? Now, how many of y'all ever remember Kiss? We used to call them King Service of Satan. They painted their face up. They looked like demons. And boy, you're talking about rock and roll. My Lord, rock and roll. If you weren't deaf, you would be deaf if you stayed there very long. Now, you know, you can go into some religious organizations and what? Kiss had loud, 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 loud. The drums overrode everything. And they had, they had smoke. They had smoke. So I've been in churches that not only have loud, loud music, but they got smoke machines. And they just pour smoke. What is that supposed to do? If you can't, don't have God's smoke, you've got to get smoke from somewhere else. Now you say, but you just don't understand. Well, okay, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'll tell you one thing. I can't worship when somebody's in rock and roll, loud music. I can't do it. I've tried. I've been in churches, and I've been there, and they, I, I, I loved them. And I, I'm not saying they, all I can say is I couldn't join. You say it's just because you're over 70. I don't believe that. 
I, I, I want to pay, I don't want to get, go deaf. I know a church that gives people earplugs if they think the music's too loud. Well, I don't need to ride that horse. I, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not saying there aren't churches that have loud music who aren't doing good things. But I'll tell you one thing. I have never found out what was wrong with him. I've never found out what was wrong with one. Have you? And at least let me be able to understand the words. Would you please let me understand the words? Well, now, let me tell you what we can do. This is where it gets personal. You know, I was thinking before um, I started preaching today. You know, this church started nine years ago, and we just started with a handful, and then we went to Davidson High School. I was never voted to be called. I never was voted to be pastor of this church. Y'all have never called me to be pastor. <laughs> so after today, you can't fire me because you ain't called me. Do you understand that? We just might have, have that clear. That's an amazing thing. I never was called, except by God. But anyway, all right, there are three things that I think we've got to look at today. We've got to look at. There were three churches in Revelation. And I want us to examine our hearts in light of those three churches. Now, I'm not preaching to them. I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to us. The first church I want you to look at is in Revelation chapter 2. And it's the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus. In chapter 2 of Acts, he said a lot of good things about the believers in Ephesus. I know your labor of love. I know the way you've helped this. And he, he had a lot of good things. But he had what he... Set up, they set up on the screen in, 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 in Revelation 2, 41 through 43. Why'd you take it off? That is. No, that's not it. Okay, that's good. He's going back some. And you have perceived, you have perceived and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And it goes on and says in the next verse, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What does it mean that they had left their first love? It means there was a time when they loved Jesus more than they loved him now. There was a time when they were closer to Jesus than they were then. And he said, I see all these good things. But you know, the most important thing is your love for Jesus. And somehow, you don't love him as much as you used to. Some of you have moved away from that love of Christ that you have for Christ and the love that Christ has for you. And therefore, things become mechanical. And, 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 and it was just like a, a, an indictment. You say, but Brother Fred... What dimension of love should we have for Jesus? It's more than an emotion. Jesus said, it's action. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You are my friend if you do whatever I tell you. One time they saw his mother's and brother's sister stand outside and said, your mother and brothers are outside and want to see you. You know what? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
What does it mean? All right, I want to show you a verse. Now, I, I, this is true, and I'm preaching to myself. I, I love Jesus, but I'm not sure. I believe there have been times that I loved him a whole more than I do now. And if we're going to have any impact on this world, listen to what it says in um, the, the scripture on, on our first love is found in, um, where is that found at? I've got it written there somewhere. Wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. Oh, it's, I've got to go back a page. Here it is. All right. Leaving your first love, Matthew 10, 37. I want you to listen to this. Now, folks, this is strong. <laughs> this is strong. But I want to ask you, do you love Jesus as much now as you did 10 years ago? Do you love him as much or more than you did a year ago? Or could it be said of you and me and Luke 14, you're doing some good things. But maybe you're so caught up in the things you don't love Jesus the way you should. Look at what it says in Matthew 10, 37. Boy, th this is strong. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus said, if you love anybody or anything more than me, you're not worthy of me. I said, is there any way I can water that down? I mean, that is so strong. No, there's no way you can get around it. Supreme love. That's the way we're to love Jesus. It affects everything we say, everything we do, affects all of our actions, affects the way we treat people. It's because of our love for Jesus, because we love him more than father or mother or brother or sister. Yes, even more, son or daughter. Yes, even more than our own life. He said, I've got something against you. You've left your first love. He said, repent, repent. Be eager and repent and return to your first love. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, boy, th this is so hard. If you were raised with Christ, set your affections on things above. If Christ raised you up, then set your affection on things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Have your affection in the right place. Then the second church, not only the church of Ephesus, but I want you to look at the church at Sardis, Revelation 3, 1 through 3. I want you to look at this. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works. You have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. This was written to real churches. There was a church in Sardis. And Jesus spoke through John and said, write to that church and tell them that they got a name. They're alive, but they're dead. Wow. And the question that came to me, Lord, do I have life? I mean, I could have religion and not have life. Now, you could have religion and not have life. 
And I, I know Jesus came for us to have life. He said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. He said in 1 John 5, 12, and this is the record that I have given to you of abundant life. In John, 1 John 5, 12, he says, and this is the record. He who has the Son, now look at this, he who has the Son has, say it, life. He who has not the Son of God does not have. Searcher Sarder said, you have a, you say you're alive, but you're dead. I want to ask you a question. Do you have life? Do you have the life of God living in you? Do I have the life of God? It's the life of God filling this church. Galatians 2.20, we all know it and love it. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's don't be, are you an, an Ephesus person? You've left your first love. Are you a Sardis person who has a name that you're alive? But deep in your heart, it's just religion. And you really don't have the life of God in your heart. And then I guess the one that disturbs us the most is the next one. And that's the, the lukewarm church, the church at Laodicea. And that's in that same third chapter of Revelation. And let me get the verse here. It's Revelation 3, 14 through 17. According to theologians or people who have a studied and are interpreted Bible, there are seven church ages, and the first one is Ephesus, and the last church age is Laodicea, and that's the picture of the church today. It, it's, it's apostate, and this is what it says about. It says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans say, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. Jesus is talking to him. He's the amen. He's the faithful, true, uh, uh, true witness. The beginning of, beginning of creation. And then he says in verse 15, I know your works. I wish you were, neither you were either cold or hot. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or are hot. But, go on to the next verse. Since you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then it goes on down in that same book, uh, uh, Revelation, that same chapter. And here's Jesus at outside the door of the Laodicean church knocking and asking to get in. The church that he purchased and played with his own blood, I think it's 320, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. That was to the church. Now I want to ask you, are you hot? Are you cold? I'm asking myself this question. Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you lukewarm? Have you ever tried to drink lukewarm water? Sometimes I get a bottle of water and put it in the car, and I don't drink it all, and then I go in, in inside, and it's, um, it gets kind of hot. I come out, and I'm so thirsty. I said, I wonder if it's hot. And I open it up, and I, it, it's lukewarm, and I can't drink it. It makes me sick. 
You know what one means when you hop? That you love Jesus more than father, mother, brother, sister, than your own life. You're hot when Jesus is your life. You're hot when the most important thing in your life is to obey God. You're hot when your life is marked by holiness and by righteousness. You're hot when prayer is a vital part of your life. You're hot when you love the Word of God and the Word of God is important to you. You're hot when you love your church and you're faithful in serving and finding places of ministry in that church. And, and, and you're not just a, that you just, you're hot when you're just, man, you're serving the Lord. And you're hot when you're being a witness by your life and by your lips. I mean, I know some people that are hot. I mean, they're hot. They're on fire. They're on fire. They're fanatics. You say, well, I don't want to be a fanatic. No danger. <laughs> no danger of us being fanatics. I wish we'd just be a little hotter than we are. And I'm talking to myself. Listen, this, this church needs to be a flame of fire. A flame of fire. And you don't have to advertise a fire. People come to watch a fire. So I wonder, are we, have, are we still in love with Jesus? Do we have real life? And are we hot? All right, I'm going to close by just showing you this. I want to show you what the church is supposed to be like. Good gracious alive. Y'all listen too slow. It's not my problem. <laughs> Just let me give you these verses. This is the way the church is supposed to be. Acts chapter, two, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you shall receive power. Say it with me. My passion is this, that we will experience the power of God in this church. Brother Fred, what is your heart? What is your passion? What do you want to see more than anything else? That because we love Jesus and that we're alive and that we're hot, that we will see the power of God in this church. I am not satisfied to live without it. I'm not. And you aren't either. We need to see the power of God, y'all. He hasn't changed. My heavens. There's nothing wrong on God's end. It's got to start on our end. And why should we live without the life-changing power of the living God who is at work in this world? Why should we live without it? My heavens. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want you to look at this verse. It's very important. 1 Corinthians 4.18 through 20. Man, look at this. Now, please. Some of you are puffed up as though I was not coming to you, Paul said. But I will come to you shortly. If the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. And this is what he said. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He said, the kingdom of God is not just in words. The kingdom of God is in power. Where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power in your life? Where in the world is the power of God in my life? Where's the power of God in this church? Where's the power of God? The kingdom of God is not in word. It's in power. And you go to uh, the next one, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, and 6. Look at this. But our gospel did not come to you in word only, 
but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know, the kind of men we were among you for your sake. He said, we just not, our gospel did not come to you just in word, but it came in power. Boy, you know one of the most greatest indictments about the last days? Look at 2 Timothy 3, 5. I don't believe this is true of us, but it could become true if, of an individual or anything. But it says, having a form of godliness, nice building, nice ritual, nice songs. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such people turn away. I want to show you how it's supposed to be. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I got two more verses. Acts 4, 31. Those who gladly received, no, this is Acts 2, 41. And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. The next verse, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That's the early church. Fear came upon every soul. Look at the power on the early church. Fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Look at Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. It's called power. How do you describe the, book of ch act, the church in the book of Acts? Power. How did they change the world? The power of God. How were lives changed and the sick healed and the demons set for, people set free? The power of God. Acts 5, chapter 1. I just, I'm, on, I'm just going to tell this. I'm not going to. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land. And they came to the church and said, we sold this. Everybody was poor and the Romans wouldn't let them buy and sell. You know, they were just... They wouldn't let them buy and sell, and they were all having to depend on each other, and they were all sharing with each other. And Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land and said, We sold it for $50,000, and here it is. Peter said, You mean you sold it for $50,000? Yeah. And you're giving it all? Yeah. Peter said, That ain't right. You lying. Peter had a word of knowledge, said, You lying. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And Ananias said, You're right. And the Bible said he fell dead. He dropped dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. He dropped dead. Then his wife comes in and said, Sapphira, is it true y'all sold the property? Yeah. Is it true you gave it all to the church here? They said, you're lying. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. God told us that wasn't right. Said the people that carried your husband's feet out here just left, and she dropped dead right then. Drop dead. You say, Brother Fred, that's not very good. I'll tell you one thing. They took God seriously, don't you think, after that? Boy, when I say something, it better be true or they'll be carrying me out. I mean, seriously. That's how the early church operated. They operated in supernatural power. I want this church. God wants this church. God wants you to be so in love with Jesus, to so full of the life of God, to be so hot 
laying hold of God in prayer. He wants you to be that, the, that his power can rest upon you. And his power can flow through you to your children, to your neighbors. He doesn't want you and me to live without the power of God. The, the Acts Christians were no different from us. They had the same Holy Spirit in them. We have the whole Bible. They didn't even have the whole Bible. They were writing it. I want to close with this. Acts 22, 30 and 31. This is what I want you to do in the days to come. Here it is. So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I would not destroy it. But I found none. So look what happened. Therefore I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, saith the Lord. Okay. God wants to take me and you and this church to another level spiritually. Hot, first love, full of life. Supernatural power of God. And then he wants us to stand, to stand in the gap. To make up a wall before him. And to cry out for this land, our land. That he will not destroy it. Oh yeah. That the wrath of God, which is already upon us in many ways, will not intensify. There are a lot of things you can't do. But you can stand in the gap. Make up a wall before the Lord. And cry out for this land that he'd have mercy on us. And grant us repentance. And turn us back to him. If, he does, if we don't and he doesn't, then he's going to destroy us. He'll destroy them. He'll bring America to its knees. It's no question. He'll bring us to our knees one way or another. And so let's be a part of the answer. Let's be first lovers. Full of life. And red hot. Loving Jesus. Seeking him. And let's pray and seek God. And let's be a light and salt. In a desperately nation. That has already died. But maybe God can resurrect it. Maybe God can turn us around. Maybe God will give us another chance. I know he can. But he's not obligated to. He's not obligated to. I'm telling you. It depends on you and me what we're going to do about it.